You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science alone. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And we are back, baby. (laughs) Welcome to season three of Unbiased Science. We could not be more excited. Um, We have such an exciting season planned for you. Uh, We're kicking things off with a very controversial topic, which we'll introduce in a second. But this season, Season is going to be a little different than last season. Uh, I'll just give you some some high level uh, examples of, of the changes that you can expect this season. But for starters, episodes are going to be every week. We're going to be weekly instead of biweekly. With that, we're also going to have shorter episodes about. 30 minutes or so in length. We're going to do do our best to, to stay succinct, even though you know we can uh, ramble on and on. We're going to bring on lots of experts and guests, including an amazing one that we'll introduce in just a moment. We're going to have some recurrent segments And we are really going to lean on our Substack subscribers to help us pick topics and submit questions that we'll answer every week on our Heard from the Herd segment. And we're going to get to that today. So before I get into this week's topic, if you haven't tuned in to last season, what are you waiting for? But there's still lots of time to catch up. Last season, we went there. We did not shy away from controversial topics, including but not limited to chiropractic, artificial sweeteners, food allergies and sensitivities, homeopathy, leaky gut, clean beauty, vaginal health myths, adrenal fatigue, autoimmune protocol, SPF, menstrual myths, and much, much more. This week, our Substack subscribers voted and they picked the topic of naturopathy, a very controversial topic, and we really want to dig into the evidence here. We want to kick off this episode acknowledging that we really are understanding and compassionate as to why some people seek out alternatives to traditional medicine. Uh, We've seen many surveys conducted that have shown that people seek out alternative medicine um, after trying every other possible avenue without success. Some people feel that they aren't heard or taken seriously by physicians. Um, In particular, those who suffer from chronic health issues or long-term pain and discomfort and are desperate for alternatives when they feel that medications are not helping. And we really do understand that. As a health policy person, I also want to acknowledge some very real issues with the U.S. healthcare system. And, and every healthcare system has its problems. But the U.S. healthcare in particular, we know that patients often feel that MDs and DOs, they rush appointments. They don't spend a lot of time on patient encounters. And this is backed by data. Um, RAND Corporation just recently did a study on physician compensation arrangements and financial performance incentives in U.S. health systems and found that most physicians employed in group practices owned by health systems are paid primarily based on the volume of care they provide. So that means the more patients they see, the more they get paid. So there, it's 
not based on quality or value. So this means that there's little to no financial incentive for physicians to spend more time with patients, listening to them very carefully, explaining things to them, making them feel heard. Rather, there's incentive for quick turnaround and for doctors to see as many patients as possible. Very briefly, we know that there are also many other issues, including major provider shortages, in particular for primary care in this country. Uh, You can wait several months to get an appointment with a primary care physician and especially with specialists. I tried making an appointment with a PCP because I recently moved to Western Massachusetts and was told that it would be six months. Finally, you know, modern, uh, well, uh, Western medicine, I should say, is focused on finding and treating disease. And we'd love to see, you know, a more pronounced emphasis on maintaining or improving health and well-being and really placing an emphasis on things like prevention and public health and nutrition and mental health counseling, which are often afterthoughts in busy medical practices. So this is all to say we really do understand if you're someone who has sought out alternative medicine, we understand it. But our goal with this episode is to make you aware that these treatments are not based in in any kind of evidence, and they can actually be quite harmful. And Jess, before we, we dig into this, I also want to be clear that we're not villainizing physicians either, because in the U.S. in particular, we have a capitalist-based you know, insurance and, and medical infrastructure. And so, you know, they're often pawns in this as well, right? They may want to spend more time on preventive health care and things like that, but they are overworked, understaffed, and and they simply don't have the bandwidth to focus on those sorts of things. Could not agree with you more. You know, I often reference my husband, who's an emergency doc, and he, I mean, we'll have to have him on. He could talk about this for hours. He wants so badly to spend more time with patients, but is often chastised for spending too much time with them and for not having that quick turnaround. So certainly not trying to vilify doctors. You know, the, the one last thing I'll say before we introduce our guest and really dive into this is that often people vilify big pharma and talk about the industry of pharmaceuticals. But why are we ignoring that naturopathy is an industry as well? So, you know, we really want to lift the curtain on that. The sales of herbal medicines, dietary supplements, and other natural products, that's a multi-multi-billion dollar industry. In, in 2018, it was $37 billion a year, and it's only growing. Um, and, and unlike pharmaceutical uh, companies, the herbal and vitamin supplement industry is largely unregulated. We've talked so much about this, but, you know, active ingredients or the the amount of active ingredients in supplements varies from pill to pill. There are often ingredients not listed on labels, some of which are harmful and have been banned by the FDA. So we're going to to break this episode or this topic into two episodes. And on this first episode, we are welcoming someone with true insider knowledge of the profession. Britt Hermes, thank you for joining us. You want to say a quick hello while I introduce you? (laughs) Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you, Britt. So Britt Hermes, she spent three years practicing naturopathy and once considered herself a doctor. Um, And she's going to tell us more about her personal experience, but, um, you know, she 
was made aware of unethical practices um, from a colleague, and she um, more closely scrutinized her profession and naturopathic treatments, and she became quite alarmed. Um, if you go to her website, it will say... Um, Quote, I left naturopathy with a bang in the spring of 2014. I discovered that my boss, also a naturopath, had been importing and injecting non-FDA-approved medication um, called Ukraine to cancer patients. I resigned from his practice and reported him to the Arizona Naturopathic Medicine Board and the state attorney general. During my final meeting with him, my former boss informed me that he knew he was operating in the gray zone and this was common practice in the naturopathic perfection. So Britt now is a PhD student in evolutionary biology at the University of Kiel studying the interplay between um, the mammalian microbiome and genetics of the host species. Um, she also writes about the evidence or lack thereof of naturopathic methods and, and education and the ethical and educational shortcomings. So she contributes to a variety of um, organizations and, and newsletters, including Science-Based Medicine, Forbes, and many others. So Britt, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're so excited. Thank you. So, Britt, do you want to kick things off with kind of a history of what naturopathy is? Oh, man. I Sure. I can. <laughs> Unless you want me to do kind of a high-level summary first. Yeah, I, I think you should actually go for it and do a high-level summary first. So naturopathy was a term coined in 1895 by John Scheele, and, and the premise is that um, naturopathy espouses the healing power of nature. So it was a health movement in the 19th century. Currently in modern naturopathy, it's been rebranded as naturopathic medicine as an attempt to appeal to authority and establish a little bit more credibility. Um, but naturopathy claims to use a wide range of treatments to support human wellness. So the foundation of naturopathy is based on the greatness of exercise, sunlight, fresh water, stress management, healthy diet diet, and so on. All of those things are good things, right? When we talked about immune system function, you need a healthy diet. You need, you know, to alleviate stress. But the issue now is that naturopathic physicians often position themselves or actually get credentials to allow themselves to be primary care physicians um, to practice both conventional and, and natural medicine. And so, um, you know, Britt's going to get into this in just a moment, but the training in naturopathic medicine or naturopathic treatment is not the same scope as medical training. So Britt, can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you moved into the naturopathy field? And, and once you were in, I guess, let's start from kind of the educational side of you. Can you give us an overview of what the, the educational criteria were when you were trained to be a naturopath? Right. So I entered naturopathic school basically after simply applying to get in, and that's it. It was required to have an undergraduate degree, but I found out later that that isn't strictly true. People I went to school with didn't have undergraduate degrees. So it was more like your ability to fill out an application, pay the tuition, and then get to Seattle and start school. And that's how I found myself at Bastyr, essentially. So no entrance exams, nothing like that. Um, and and can you tell me a little bit about when you were actually at Bastyr? Because we actually um, we're gonna we're gonna refer to some um, 
well, I don't know if they're still there, but we're going to refer to some folks who wrote some textbooks for naturopathic training on, on our next episode here. But can you tell us a little bit about what the training was like, what the educational program was like? And then actually, once you got done with your education, how you moved into practicing naturopathy? Sure, sure. So I looked into going to naturopathic school in the first place because I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but I wanted to also have a focus on health psychology. And when I found the naturopathic school websites that so beautifully describe themselves as artfully blending the best of modern science, plus these traditional concepts of treating the whole person and relying on the healing power of nature, I thought I was really entering this profession that would be the medicine of the future. I didn't have to take any entrance exams to get in. There were some basic science courses required, but really nothing beyond just general education courses. And whatever wasn't fulfilled could also be taken in a summer school program at Bastyr. My program at Bastyr when I was there was, and it still is, a four-year postgraduate program. The first two years focus on what they call the basic sciences, where students take classes uh, that have the same names as medical school classes, like anatomy and histology and physiology. But we were also taught during that time things that are totally unique and central to naturopathy. So for example, I was required to take a whole year's worth of homeopathy courses. The following two years are called the clinical education years, where in addition to some advanced health courses like gynecology, for example, or pediatrics, we're also required to complete clinical training. This clinical training takes place in the context of the naturopathic school itself and the teaching clinic associated with the school. And even though it claims to be teaching primary care medicine that would prepare the student to practice a broad practice on a broad spectrum of patients. It really is narrowly focused on naturopathy. And we can get into what that means exactly, but essentially for now, I could just say that it means that it's, it's not primary care. It means that we were focusing on diagnoses that are controversial, that may not even exist, and focusing on treatments that are um, not proven by science, known to not work, and potentially dangerous in some cases. I'm sure our listeners are going to have so many questions. I guess, you know, along the way, were there any red flags for you that maybe some of the things that you were being taught really were, you know, certainly didn't align with traditional medicine or, you know, were in um, opposition to, you know, I'm just trying to understand, like, at what point you started thinking like, uh, something does not seem right here. Right. And this is an important question. And I think that this really gets to a lot of how I ended up so deeply embedded in naturopathy for a long time, which it basically boils down to a lot of motivated reasoning and sort of willful ignorance. So I did think it was strange, for example, that my pediatrics course required me to write an essay on the pros and cons of vaccinating. And I did think it was curious that I was taught that vaccine injury could happen and was a real thing and that we were encouraged to explore alternative vaccine schedules. I did think it was curious that I was required 
to take a year's worth of homeopathy courses, like I said, and also tested on homeopathic remedies uh, in my licensing exam in order to practice as a naturopath. But at the same time, I was so deeply committed to the program and to wanting to be a naturopath and everyone around me, especially the professors and the administration and sort of the culture present in this little community that I was living and functioning and doing everything in was that naturopathy is better than the regular medical system. Being a naturopath is better than being a doctor. We're smarter than doctors. Our education is better than doctors. We look at things in a unique and a holistic and a different perspective that allows us to care for patients better. And I really bought into that. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when I was 16, I had had a terrible experience with a dermatologist who diagnosed me with psoriasis, told me I would have to take drugs and steroids and, you know, immune medications for the rest of my life and that I just needed to suck it up and there was nothing else to do about it. I walked out of that office in tears and didn't go back to a doctor for many, many, many years thereafter. And it was in that moment that I decided that I wanted to not only look for a different medical system for myself, but also to be part of a different and better medical system. And so I thought that going to naturopathic school was that answer. And so while there were doubts and weird things happening along the way, the rest of the motivation to keep going was so strong that it allowed me to ignore those concerns. Right. You you bring up a great point, you know, and I think just set the stage, you know, about very similar issues that, you know, appeal to to the broader population at large, right? They've they've been disappointed by conventional medicine or or a conventional clinical practitioners and they're seeking out something alternative. Um, I also wanna wanna get back to kind of what you talked about with regard to education and maybe we can dig in a little more. So so if you look at medical school, medical training, um, obviously to get into medical school, you have to pass the NCAT, um, the medical college admissions test. And there's 9,000 hours of lecture, clinical study, labs, as well as direct patient care, including clinical rotations. And then beyond that, there are mandatory residency programs, regardless of your clinical area of practice, um, which are additional years of training beyond that. In contrast, um, naturopathic education, as you mentioned, it's a four-year degree. You get a doctor in naturopathy or a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, which is an ND, N as in Nancy, or an N as in Nancy, M as in Mark D, NMD. Um, I believe there's seven naturopathic schools in the U.S. Um, there's no, as you mentioned, no entrance exam. There's no MCAT. There's no equivalent. There's no GRE. Um, and the the instruction at naturopathic schools about 4,000 hours or 4,100 hours. And as you mentioned, it includes homeopathy, botanical medicine, um, psychology as well. And um, the direct patient care, as you indicated, it's it's something that's set up at their facility, at their training. Now, can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the, the, the granularity about the training or the education? And then I'd love to hear about the postgraduate, the residency or, or training expectations beyond graduation from naturopathic school. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah. So there is so many bits and pieces to break down here. And if you're someone who hasn't heard of naturopathy before and is just, you know, sort of learning about this all from me right here, right now, there's no way that I'm going to be able to explain all of the details to be able to really sufficiently uh, parse everything out. But I'm going to do my best to sort of give an overview because there's a lot of important things to really understand. It's interesting, I think, to talk about, you know, the differences in lecture hours and the preclinical courses and the clinical courses and this direct comparison of hours. But it's even hard to compare, you know, 9,000 hours in medical school versus 4,100 hours in naturopathy school or however it, it breaks down. Because you're going to find that when you start to tally up the numbers from the various accredited naturopathic schools that first of all these numbers vary there doesn't seem to be a standardized way to count these hours but even if there were a standardized way to count these hours i don't know that it would really be helpful or informative because when i'm taking classes like gynecology or dermatology or even oncology the treatment of cancer in those lecture hours where I am being taught how to potentially recognize a certain disease or diagnose something, I'm also being taught how to treat conditions with unproven naturopathic therapies. Best case, it's unproven. Worst case, we know it doesn't work. There's sufficient evidence to say that it doesn't work, but that evidence is hand-waved away with all sorts of excuses um, that gets into the complications of how to effectively study therapies and the gold standard of randomized clinical trials, et cetera, et cetera. Naturopaths will frequently argue that their therapies cannot be tested using a randomized clinical trial, which is the gold standard for testing most therapies, because Many naturopaths argue that naturopathy is inherently holistic and individualized. Therefore, there is no such thing as a standard care or a standard of care for any patient. And that should give any listener a major reason to pause. If there's a health profession that says we don't have standards of care because we don't believe in rigorously <laughs> testing our therapies to see if something works beyond giving a sugar pill or water or some other placebo, I think that's concerning. Mm. Beyond beyond this like clinical in classroom, you know, preclinical course study, the major issue beyond this is the fact that naturopaths are not required to complete residencies in order to practice. What this means is, just so your patients understand, is I could walk across the stage with my hand in the diploma, the next morning hang up my shingle, you know, outside my door and start seeing patients, assuming I've passed the naturopathic licensing exam. But even there, it gets tricky because not all states regulate naturopaths in the same way. Right. So while I did graduate with a piece of paper that says I'm a doctor of naturopathy, depending on what state I'm living and working in, I can or cannot call myself a doctor. Mm -hmm. 
in Washington and Arizona where I was licensed, I was able not just only to call myself a doctor, but also a physician, which made it very confusing and complicated for patients. And I could use this term naturopathic medical doctors. But in other states, naturopaths can't use that term or that protected title. And if a naturopath is working in a state that's unlicensed and unregulated, they may not necessarily need to have passed a licensing exam. So that example that I gave of walking across the stage and the next morning start practicing, that could be true for that graduate, which is horrifying, actually. Because if you ask any physician, you know, and I'm sure you're you know, (laughs) your husband, you know, the emergency room physician will attest to this. In school, you know, butts in the chair training and education is important, but you learn how to become a doctor in seeing patients in those residency years, in those residency hours, you know, hour after hour after hour, because you need to know what's normal before you can learn to recognize pathology. And so the fact that naturopaths can step out of school and get to seeing patients without having seen very many patients at all is, is really scary. And I, it's really um, amazing that I thought that I was capable of providing such care and doing so safely all those years ago when I was practicing as a naturopath. Britt, your your honesty and transparency is just so refreshing, and and we can hear the the like the passion that that's coming through, um, you know. And I think it's just amazing that you're sharing your insider knowledge with folks because you're absolutely right. You know that that title of doctor is incredibly misleading, and and that's something that we're really going to dig into on part two. Mm. Um, you know, the, the the next episode on this topic, but I love to kick off um, season three's Heard from the Herd segment because we got a couple of questions that we'd love for you to answer, Britt. So these were submitted by our Substack, Substack subscribers. The first was submitted by Soleil, and she asked, are there any things which naturopaths do which a regular family doctor physician does not do that is scientifically sound? No. Wow. And I know that's an overly simplistic answer to a complicated question, Soleil, but the fact of the matter is what naturopaths do that works and that is backed by science and evidence, family physicians, primary care physicians your specialists are going to also do, and your insurance will cover it. If you go to a naturopath, you might get a therapy that is a safe, effective therapy, but that therapy might not be treated by or covered by insurance, which means you're going to have to pay for it out of pocket. And that therapy might also be coupled with something that is not safe and that is not effective and that could be dangerous. And that's where things get really tricky, I think, for patients, because now all of a sudden that patient is put in the position of having to figure out for themselves how and what they should be doing in order to take care of themselves. And that's not fair. That's not why we have physicians and healthcare systems in place. The onus should not be on the patient to have to figure out 
what to do after speaking with someone who's supposed to be a qualified health practitioner. So you, you already kind of answered this um, with what you just said, but we, we received another question from Anne who asked about the pairing of naturopathy with, um, with uh, she said, traditional medicine. And I think I said that earlier. I'm, I'm referring to conventional medicine. So what about the pairing of the two? What about someone who's seeing both an ND and an MD? What, what would you say to them? Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, I would love to be able to say that these systems can work effectively in parallel. But in my experience, that hasn't been true. What has been the case for me is I, in particular, remember patients coming to me and coming to me like I was the woman on the side, you know, like, hey, I'm here, but uh, I also see a medical doctor. Don't let my medical doctor know that I'm here. Or I'm here because my medical doctor told me that this is my diagnosis and this is my treatment and I want to get your opinion as a second opinion. And so what happens is, is that many times medical doctors and naturopaths are pinned against each other, oftentimes without the medical doctor even knowing. And this can be particularly dangerous for the patient because if a physician has prescribed a therapy, a treatment, an antibiotic, a whatever, for the treatment of a disease, and then that patient is turning around and also going to a naturopath and getting treatment in addition to what the medical doctor has already prescribed, there are serious complications that can arise. For example, there could be drug-drug interactions or drug-supplement interactions. And naturopaths are not well-trained to understand those interactions. We get very little training in pharmacology, very little. In fact, when I was writing prescriptions for patients, I ended up befriending the local pharmacist because I often had to rely on her to help me write prescriptions and to write them accurately and to get the dosages correct because I didn't have sufficient training during my naturopathic years in order to be able to do that safely for patients. And naturopaths just don't know what they don't no. So a very well-meaning naturopath may think, ah, you're on this antibiotic, let's stick you on the supplement to support whatever, the, the treatment of, you know, condition X, or, oh, you're anemic in addition to receiving some other medication for heart disease or high blood pressure or diabetes. But that naturopath is most likely not going to understand those complex interactions, and that could really put the patient at risk. It is not uncommon for patients to end up in the emergency room because of kidney and liver problems related to complications and side effects to supplements and drugs that aren't getting along in your body. I think that that you, you just, that was so beautifully articulated. And I think that that's, you know, a good place to actually stop. I, I don't know. Are there yeah, any? I, I was, I was gonna, I was just gonna jump in and, and, you know, so, so Britt, you know, you, you touched on a lot of things that we've kind of debunked over, over the last couple of years, um, on the pod, um, you know, homeopathy, um, spinal manipulation, um, supplements and, and vitamins and things like that. So if our listeners, you know, want to, want to hear more about the granular data on those, those topics, um, you know, go to those podcasts, but, but, um, Britt, you know, I, I'd love to hear from you, you know, if you have any final thoughts about people who, 
you know, we're in a position like you were, right? We're frustrated by their clinical provider and and trying to find better better care options or things like that. What would you say to them now? I want to say, first and foremost, I understand how you feel. I have been failed by the medical system and by my physicians in the U.S. more than once. And I understand what it feels like to be sitting across from a person who is supposed to listen to you and who's supposed to be the excerpt expert and who is supposed to show you empathy and to also feel like that person is ignoring you. And I understand the desire to look for something better and to want something better. And frankly, you deserve something better. Unfortunately, the answer is not the addition of unproven, unscientific therapies like naturopathic care. If you are really looking for something better, If you really want the medical system to improve, then I encourage you to vote and to advocate for healthcare reform. Start talking to people to make change happen. When patients start demanding that our medical physicians spend more time with us, and when we start demanding that the pay structure is based not on how many patients you see or volume or drugs prescribed, but on just quality of care, then things will change. We can't expect change and create change through the diluting and the polluting of the medical system with unscientific, dubious, and dangerous naturopathic therapies. We have to start changing the medical system that's in place, and we do that through advocating for better care and through voting. That was very, very beautifully summarized. Um, and and I think I think it brings us to a, a really good um, end point for, for part one. Part two, um, we are going to dive in to discussing a little bit more of the, the dangers of naturopathic treatment and the potential harms of seeking out naturopathic treatment, especially um, in lieu of conventional treatment. Um, as as Britt so beautifully um, summarized, you know, these these practices often include unproven and disproven treatments like homeopathy, like herbal remedies, like enemas, like ozone therapy. And, and of course, there, there are no science, um, scientific data to support that. Thank you so much, Britt, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, you provide such an insight that that I think our listeners will truly benefit from. I'm really happy to have been here. Um, and listeners, if you want to read more from Britt, you can find her blog at www.naturopathicdiaries.com. And if you want more unbiased science, please check out our Substack. As just mentioned, we are sourcing podcast topic episode suggestions from our subscribers. Subscribers. You'll have a direct line to Jess and myself. You'll also have access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&A. So you can find that at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. So as I mentioned, next episode, we're going to tackle part two of the naturopathy discussion. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19 and lots of other topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at unbiasedscipod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no-nonsense just science. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist.